Yeah, so the movies has been a subject that's always interested me ever since I was pretty young. I've always been something of a more of a cinephile maybe than the average person. I attribute quite a lot of that to the TV show Siskel and Ebert. Somehow I got uh, hooked on that show when I was maybe a teenager or even as early as maybe 13 and that was in the early to mid 90s and I watched pretty regularly. I would stay up. It would be like a, I don't know, a guilty pleasure, but I would stay up uh, late at night to watch the show and I believe it was on at midnight or 12.30 every Saturday or something like that, Friday or Saturday night and I would stay up to watch the show. I always had a kind of fascination with that show and um, when uh, Gene Siskel died in 1999 it was kind of a big shock because I didn't realize how sick he was and so I kind of think of him now as some kind of inspiration in some way to me which I w wasn't really thinking of at the time but I still think about that show and him I mean I somehow resonated with him actually more than Roger Ebert although Ebert became much more famous in his own right after the show ended but the show was never really the same after uh, Gene Siskel died even though it did continue under different guises but uh, I think the thing that made it work was first of all they were different people you know one was thin and tall and the other one was shorter and fatter which is interesting dynamic but also because they worked for rival newspapers and they really were rivals and so you kinda had this love-hate relationship and that didn't really translate to any of the future shows that Ebert did because they were on more of a level playing field with him. Some of them, like Richard Roper, worked for the Chicago Sun-Times with Roger Ebert, so it was never quite the same. But it was an inspiration, and at, through that I, they would sometimes recap some classic movies and talk about uh, foreign movies, and so somewhere along the line I got interested in like the films of Ingmar Bergman, and even in high school, Ingmar Bergman and Kurosawa were definitely two of the big ones that got me hooked on world cinema. And I still revisit uh, their catalog from time to time. I haven't seen all of their movies. I've seen, Kurosawa did, I believe, uh, is it 30 movies in his career? And I've seen most of them at this point, but there's still more to discover. That's just a little bit uh, about the movies and me. This is Mark A., the host of Further Reflections, and these are Further Reflections.
Welcome to episode 17 of Further Reflections. I'm your host, Mark A. This episode is being released on July 8th of 2018. It's the first episode of two in July. So happy July. People have just been celebrating uh, Canada Day recently, and uh, if anyone's listening in the United States, uh, the 4th of July. This episode is titled Movie Recap, and that's exactly what it sounds like. I'm going to recap some of the movies that I've seen in the first half of 2018. I did one of these shows back in at the beginning of January of this year, and I said I'd do another one in six months. I think a year is a long time to remember some of the movies I may have seen back in January or February, but six months might be quite a decent amount of time in some way to have some of these movies still in my memory. I'm also recording some separate segments on some movies right after I see them, movies that have influenced me in some way. I'm going to do maybe an episode on some of the the movies from the 2000s, the uh, year 2000 to 2009, which is when I kind of came of age, and some of those movies, especially around the early early 2000s, they, uh, that was when I was quite influenced by certain movies. So um, keep an eye out for an episode on some of those movies. In this episode, I'm going to talk about some uh, quite a few newer movies, such as Black Panther and Annihilation, that I've seen. But I haven't seen that many uh, 2018 movies. I often see most of the movies I see are around the awards season, which starts maybe September and picks up steam in November and December. So I see more of the bigger movies then. I don't always see the blockbuster movies either. And plus, I find maybe they're not that much interesting to talk about. Although there's some elements that are interesting to me in Black Panther. So I did uh, talk about that movie. I also revisit some movies from the 1970s and the 1940s. And um, talk about uh, the movie Her from the year 2013, which I also revisited. And there's a few other little things in there, too, that... uh, could be of interest. This episode's going to run for about half an hour. The last one ran uh, about 10 minutes longer than this one, but I wasn't setting any proper time. I was just recording. I actually think I talk about uh, less movies in this one than last time, so I'm actually probably talking more about certain movies, which is probably a good thing. But I wasn't timing myself, and so it tapped out about 32 minutes, but that's still about the average length of a podcast interview that I do so that will that'll take the place of the uh, interview this week I have recorded an interview which will take place in episode 18 of further reflections it's with Tim Yearington I met Tim through something called the medicine pine course that he was offering in Ottawa back in I believe it was 2014 I believe and um I took this course, and it was quite interesting. At that time, he was very interested in the medicine wheel and native teachings, but now he's more interested in his story um, about becoming what he calls a Thunderbird, and he has an upcoming book on that uh, topic. In advance of the interview, you can visit timyarrington.com to learn more about Tim and what he does. Tim has since moved from Ottawa to Kingston, Ontario. It's not too far away. I actually went to school in Kingston. 
I haven't seen him for a couple of years now, but uh, hopefully when I get the chance to go to Kingston sometime, I'll connect with him again. It's very rare these days that I actually go to Kingston, even though it's only a couple of hours away from where I live here in Ottawa. But uh, hopefully soon I'll get to go to Kingston for a couple of days or something just to reminisce. It's always good to go back there and reminisce. Uh, I seem to be averaging every four years or so recently, so and it has been four years this year since I was there. So we'll have to see how that goes. And uh, for the next 30 minutes, you'll be hearing myself uh, giving a little movie recap. And we'll catch you next time. This is Mark A. of Further Reflections, and today I'm going to talk about some of the movies that have influenced me in the first half of 2018, or some of the movies that uh, I've uh, enjoyed or have been memorable to me. They're not all movies that came out in 2018. Uh, they're movies that came out in all kinds of different eras. They're not always sort of North American, American movies. There's some foreign stuff in there. There's a wide swath of things. I've seen quite a lot of movies. I've seen uh, over 100 movies in the first half of 2018. It seems like a lot, maybe, for some people. About half of those, almost half of those uh, movies were movies that were from the 2010s. That kind of makes sense. And maybe another six of those movies were from the 2000s. But I also watched quite a lot of movies from the 60s, which is kind of strange. And um, not not a lot from the 70s, but quite a lot from the 60s. I don't know what that says, but um, today I'm just going to recap a few of these movies. And um, I'm going to do, I've recorded some uh, kind of thoughts on separate movies when I've seen them for different shows. And one of them is going to be the, I was going to call it the best movies of the year 2000s, the 2000s. But I realized I could probably talk for up to 10 minutes on each movie, and I've seen a few recently. So there might be a couple of separate shows. There's a few I've already done. It might come out in the future sometime, so look for that. So here's just some thoughts on some of the, the movies I've seen in uh, 2018. And uh, when I did the previous podcast, episode 5 of Further Reflections... I started with a big movie, I think that was Blade Runner, 2049. And I might as well start with another movie that people might have seen, just in case anyone wants to, uh, I don't know, attract your attention. Maybe something that a lot of people have seen that movie is 
Black Panther, which came out earlier this year. And whether it really made an impression on me is doubtable, but it is a kind of interesting foray into the superhero genre. It feels very kind of comical in a way, and maybe in a way there's less overt humor in that movie. It's a little more of a serious movie than some of the other kind of uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that captivating. I don't always go to see those movies in the theaters. Often I catch up with those movies uh, later, after they come out. And Black Panther is sort of talking about the uh, T'Challa, I guess. The, he becomes the king of, uh, I suppose the king of uh, Wakanda, which is this African nation. And the idea is... Um, it sort of set up that in another movie, but in this movie he sort of steps into that role and he has to kind of defend that role. And it's interesting that Wakanda is supposed to be this poor nation, but it it's really uh, like a, a advanced nation, maybe the most advanced nation on the planet, but it's concealed and they kind of don't want people to know about it. And I've read some maybe criticism that Wakanda people could do more for Africa maybe. They're kind of acting at a very covert level, and whether people know about this city is sort of up for debate. I do think the acting is pretty good in for a superhero movie in Black Panther. Uh, the villain, if you want to call him the villain, is uh, played by Michael B. Jordan. I think it's Eric Killmonger is the name of the villain. And he does well because the villain is multifaceted. It's sort of a somewhat of a revenge story, but at the same time he has very real motivations that go back to the previous king of Wakanda, the previous Black Panther, and his uh, association with, I believe it's his brother, and how that sort of plays out, and then um, he kind of comes back. I, I like the dynamic, and, and Chadwick Boseman's pretty good as the Black Panther T'Challa, too. And one of the things I like about Black Panther is the uh, sort of the spiritual aspect if you want to call it that, that there's sort of a ritual in terms of like he gains his power or he can lose his power. There's kind of a plant medicine ritual if you want to call it that and it sort of I'm interested in that since for a number of years now and have some of my own experiences in that realm but uh, this is in uh, Africa but they what's interesting is it sort of reminds me of some stories that people say about different plant medicines that you can tap into kind of your I don't know, like maybe it ties into speaking with the ancestors in some way. And uh, I did a recent interview with Daniel Four, who talks about ancestral medicine, and that uh, in that way, uh, this medicine kind of allows you to have a contact with your deceased ancestors and maybe learn something. So I found that quite interesting. Um, is Black Panther an amazing movie? Not necessarily, but it it was past the time, and I saw that in England when I was visiting in March. It was a kind of an old retro theater that in a somewhat small, I don't know, you call it a town, I guess, but it, it was uh, fun to go there. I visited that theater as a child when I lived in the area, but it was fun to kind of go back there. And another movie I saw around that time, maybe just before Black Panther, was the movie Annihilation. And it's a female-driven uh, sci-fi movie. Which is kind of nice that they have these movies. Arrival is kind of another one with a central female character, but this feels different than Arrival. Um, I was 
comparing it to Arrival a lot, but Arrival is a top tier movie in my opinion of a sci-fi. I love the uh, sort of elements in that movie, and the performance is great in that movie. This doesn't have quite the same resonance. It's got Natalie Portman and Jennifer Jason Leigh and a few other people. And uh, there's this thing called these aliens have kind of arrived, if you want to call them aliens, and they've set up this whole zone called the Shimmer where the aliens are kind of, I don't know, it's like a, it's evolving its own ecosystem. And the government, I suppose, has been sending people into this area, the different scientists and also military people, and hardly anyone's come back. And then this... Uh, uh, character played by Oscar Isaac has uh, come back and he was married to uh, the Natalie Portman character and so she has this uh, idea that she wants to kind of uh, go into the shimmer and learn more about what happened to him because he has no real memory of what happened to him there and so it becomes a kind of uh, I don't know, it develops into more of a horror movie, things kind of go wrong, there's all these mutant creatures and things like that, and there's some kind of grisly deaths and things, and we do see a kind of alien life form towards the end, and it, there's this idea of what had happened to Oscar Isaac's character, and um, the aliens are maybe mimicking humans, and they, I don't know if they're trying to take over, but it, there's some interesting concepts in the movie. Um, I think it lacked the kind of total powerful performance. There's an actress, Tessa Thompson, in this movie, and she kind of didn't stand out, but she was also in the movie Thor Ragnarok, which I saw, not in the theaters, but I saw this year. And uh, she stood out in that, so it's interesting to know that some people could stand out in certain movies over, over other movies. Um, but Annihilation is worth seeing. There's some interesting ideas there, some trippy kind of visuals in there, too. Uh, it's just not a, I wouldn't say a top-tier sci-fi movie, but it's something people might have heard about, or maybe that gives you some inspiration to see. Um, so I talked about a couple of movies that came out in 2018, and I want to go back to the 60s, I guess, the 50s and 60s, and I want to talk about some Japanese movies. I'll talk about it more broadly. I like, one of my favorite eras of movies is the Japanese movies that came out in the 1950s and 1960s and they include a lot of the Kurosawa kind of samurai movies but he did other movies too and uh, there's also this director Mizuguchi who did um, Sancho the Bailiff and uh, Yugetsu among other movies which are really top tier movies in my opinion and there's another one The Women in the Dunes, there's uh, The Sword of Doom there's quite a lot of other samurai things there's The Human Condition and movies like that and there's a streaming service, Canopy, which is through the public library here in Ottawa, Canada. And I watched a few movies, some Kurosawa ones, and uh, also this one, Harakiri, which I hadn't seen before. I think it's 1962. And that's quite a, a really powerful movie. I, I forget all the whole plot details, but it's, it's sort of a kind of revenge movie. Um, it's about these guys that want to get out of, I don't know, they they feign a ritual suicide to maybe get favor with some lords and get out of their present debt situation and stuff, but, the, you know, this guy's uh, kind of adopted son, I guess son-in-law or something, he, uh, he did that and didn't survive, and then 
this character played by Tetsuya Nakadai, the great Japanese actor, is kind of goes back to this place, and then there's this whole motive as to uh, why he's why he's kind of there, and it's quite intense. It's just a very well-made movie. I mean, maybe I could record something about it again if I saw it and recorded something right after it. I saw it maybe back in March of this year, so it's not right on my mind, but I love those Japanese movies. There's something about them. I obviously haven't seen everything that came out in that era in Japan, So, but the ones I have seen, it's uh, they're definitely like, it's an amazing era, even more so than you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it just resonates with me, all these movies. Obviously, Kira Kurosawa is probably the most famous, and he's made some of my favorite movies, but I like uh, some of the other directors, too. There's just uh, so much variety there. And um, then I saw this movie, uh, Robert Altman movie. Uh, I mean, it's 1973. It's uh, The Long Goodbye, and this kind of made an impression on me. It's uh, taking a twist on the kind of private eye movies of the like 1940s and 50s, I guess. It's uh, like the Humphrey Bogart movies and things like that. Um, kind of the, uh, it's actually the character is Philip Marlowe, who is a detective from that era. And the twist is he wakes up and he's in the 1970s, uh, I believe it's Los Angeles, and uh, it's a very different world than when he uh the world of the 1940s but he's living kind of a, almost oblivious to to his new surroundings and things have changed so much and he's just smoking and uh, acting in this sort of kind of uh, way that, that maybe these characters might act in the 40s and he's like from another era and it plays with that it plays with a sort of things becoming very materialistic and kind of hedonistic in a way and the you know the, the get it into the kind of psychedelic almost culture and the the drug culture and uh, things are definitely changing and um this movie takes a, another twist on the private eye movie and that there's a lot of violence in this movie there's a couple of really graphic like shocking almost uh, violent scenes and uh, the villains are kind of uh, you know they're not Sometimes in these movies, the villains are even, you know, there's not a lot of violence, but in this one, they're kind of really cold-hearted and uh, self-centered people, and even Marlowe's not immune from that, so it's it's one of the interesting Robert Altman movies. I, I don't know if he's my favorite director, but this is one of his more interesting movies. I read it didn't maybe do so well when it came out, but it's got a new life on DVD, and it's kind of probably a cult kind of movie these days, so... That's kind of interesting. And, um, yeah, I just want to talk about another movie, uh, which I liked, which is Maudie, and that came out in 2017, but I saw it this year. And it's a Canadian production, and it's talking about the artist Maud Lewis, who lived in uh, Newfoundland, and Sally Hawkins plays Maud, and, and Ethan Hawke plays Everett, who's her future husband in the movie, but it it's very uh, nicely filmed. Uh, it's not even filmed in Nova Scotia, but it's filmed in Newfoundland. And the music's kind of nice. Uh, it's a sad story because she had some ish disability. She had, I think, arthritis, and she was a bit of an eccentric character. And I think people threw stuff at her at some point, and she was 
like an outcast and she she was a bit of a rebel and then she could never fit in and then she just kind of left home and moved in with this Everett guy and he was very at first maybe very uh, set in his ways and they have a kind of hard life and living in this small apartment and he's very harsh on her but then she finds her talent as an artist and there's a few brief years where she's becomes this folk hero of some kind of, a, of an artist and uh, puts out all these paintings and they're still preserved in the museum in Halifax, Nova Scotia, I think. And even this house is being reconstructed, which is kind of incredible. And the performance is quite good. It goes, takes some liberties in terms of how long the span of the movie is. Um, it takes place over many years. And uh, there's some liberties in terms of her real life versus the movie. Maybe they add some dramatic flares to it, but it's well acted and it's kind of touching in the end in a way. I mean, she never did quite get out of poverty, which is sad. But uh, now she's remembered as this kind of folk hero. And too bad she wasn't really recognized in her life. She was still living in poverty up to her death, I think. That's kind of sad. And another movie that's in a similar vein, sort of, maybe a little different, was the movie Mildred Pierce, which I saw. I'd seen a few movies by this director, Michael Curtis, which directed Casablanca for the most famous movie, but Mildred Pierce was 1945, and in that movie, Joan Crawford plays this uh, wife and mother, and uh, Mildred Pierce, and she, the story goes, she's, her husband is let go from his job, and there's this whole, took at, at that time, there's this whole stigma about the husband providing, and the woman staying at home but then she has to become a self-made businesswoman and there's a lot of hardship and poverty again in that and she's trying her best and she even gets into the restaurant business and maybe it's becoming somewhat successful but there's still some stigma about the waitressing and the restaurant business and the daughter played by uh, Anne Blythe I think was her name is kind of a disturbing character she always wants more and more and she's so ashamed of her mother and the Mother's trying her best to provide for the daughter, but the daughter doesn't really have much ambition, and she talks about her over several years, and she almost uh, disowns the mother at some point, and there's this whole scene where she tells her she's not good enough, and she wishes, almost wishes she was born into another family, I think, and it's kind of sad, and Joan Crawford I didn't know too much about, but she's quite powerful in this movie. And there's a whole piece in the movie of, uh, there's this murder mystery of uh, this per this sort of man is killed. I won't say too much about it, but the idea is Mildred Pierce probably did it, but they use it as a crutch to kind of flash back on her life, and that part's more interesting, this kind of social dynamic of when there's enough, and there's this kind of debutante, not debutante, but like a, I don't know what you call him, probably something like a, someone that's living off his name alone, and uh, he's kind of an interesting character and the daughter kind of gravitates towards him and he kind of take advantage of her a bit and uh, so it's a whole looking at celebrity and maybe like this disillusionment in society that they can never have enough and they want everything you know the car and the house and stuff and whether that really satisfies or not it's i don't know if it's really saying that i seem like it kind of is saying that it's probably ahead of its time um there's pretty interesting flair in that movie. I think the murder mystery part is the least interesting part, really, but they use it as a, if you want to use the word crutch, to go back and flash back on 
what she's uh, talking about in her in her life and how she got to that situation. And the ending is kind of uh, I don't know if it's surprising, but it, it's almost serendipitous in some way, and it's she still couldn't uh, help her daughter, I guess, or something. It's kind of I don't know, but I mean, it, I don't know about disturbing, but it's interesting. That's the movie Mildred Pierce. And I'd be remiss here to not mention any documentaries. I know I'm talking about movies, but I mentioned in the last podcast on movies a documentary I'd watched, and I'll mention another one. It's called From Hell to Life. And I was found this just channel on YouTube, uh, Best Documentary, and it's, it's on that channel. And I looked for something else, I think, on something about France or something. I'd been watching Rick Steves' uh, travel shows and I think it recommended me this one and I looked at the channel and there's some interesting documentaries on there about different countries and this is talking about some of the world's most dangerous roads and I haven't seen all the episodes but this one is talking about a road in I guess it's northeastern Siberia actually a couple of roads and that's an area of the world that's quite interesting to me to want to uh, to visit one day so I uh, thought it'd be interesting to just talk about it for a second it's Basically, they're, these people are, show you these truckers, they're, they're transporting alcohol, basically, to these remote communities. And that kind of says something about Russia, but these roads are really poor condition, and they get really, I think they're sometimes difficult in the winter to even access, but then during the short time they can access them, there's full of, sometimes it's full of mud, or there's full of dust, and they can't go. It takes days to just go hundreds of kilometers, I think, and they... There's some really big distances, like 800 or more kilometers on these roads they have to drive. And they're res fully responsible for their cargo. And some of these people are living quite on the edge. But there's this hardiness to them. And uh, they kind of show you the environment is very harsh in a way. And they, they all carry these automatic weapons, a lot of them. The people they're showing you, because they could be attacked by a bear every minute or something. Which, apparently the bears are, are hunted too much. And that's why they're more aggressive, which is kind of ironic. And then they're showing you these kind of reindeer herders at the end who uh, want to go to their traditional herding grounds and they have to take this old military kind of transport ac across hundreds of kilometers to this tundra type, not tundra, I don't know, but this really forested area and they're going in the winter and it's really quite incredible. And uh, it's just an eye-opening. I really am interested in Russia and Siberia especially. Just seems so i don't know i mean it is bleak but at the same time it's sort of fascinating and uh, there is this kind of uh, idea that i've been interested in shamanism and i think the word shaman comes from the siberian word and this is where like some of these spiritual connecting with spirits and these shamans kind of started it started all there so not that they talk about it that much in this documentary but it is kind of fascinating to see this trucking industry and how these people live in these poor conditions. And, you know, they, some of these are not small towns. They're like cities almost, but they're, they're really isolated from each other. So that's kind of interesting. And uh, another uh, thing I saw this year was a, a movie that also had Ethan Hawke in it. And it was, I saw it recently. It's called First Reformed. It was playing in the theaters here, directed by Paul Schrader, and it's it's a kind of very bleak, kind of uh, very almost difficult movie to get into in a way. It's, I mean, Hawk is good. He's 
probably one of my done some of my favorite movies maybe but in this one he is this I suppose a priest in this first reformed church which is under the umbrella of this mega church and I think they're in New York State or something and uh, he becomes he's having his own challenges to begin with and then he kind of the character in that movie uh, becomes involved with the uh, there's a female character played by Amanda Seyfried, and she uh, basically has a husband in that movie who, they're into the environmental movement, and in, I don't know if it's a critique about that, but they, they're they doing a lot of protests, and they're really quite into it, and they're, it's almost like, uh, I forget the name of the movie, or the movement, there's something called Deep Green Resistance, I don't know if it's that's talking about that, but he's getting very violent, almost like he plans to, possibly cause some kind of uh, violent act in the name of environmentalism and she's not quite on board with that but uh, then the Ethan Hawke character gets involved with her a bit and um, something happens to the husband and so then he becomes kind of a, almost a mentor to her but he, he gets caught up in his, the mystique around this husband and he learns some sinister things about uh, Sort of some of these mega churches and their contribution to uh, the fossil fuel industry, I suppose, or the it, like uh, polluting industries. And then he has this conscience of faith, and he's kind of going down the rabbit hole of environmentalism. And then he has this idea maybe he could uh, cause a violent incident at this. Uh, I don't know, like uh, I think it's the hundred fiftieth anniversary of the church or something like that, and there having a celebration and he he becomes like a martyr figure almost he's getting but he also has some health issues it's very bleak uh, Ethan Hawke's pretty good but I prefer his more lighter hearted uh, characters in a way it's very serious and there's some interesting flights of fancy in the movie but the tone is very sort of bleak I suppose there's some humor in it but the way they direct it is very uh, I don't know, it doesn't give a lot of uh, flavor really, I mean, I think the screenplay is the best thing about this movie, it makes some interesting points, but but uh, this Paul Schrader did a movie, Dog Eat Dog, a few years back with uh, Willem Dafoe and Nicolas Cage, and they're two crazy kind of actors that always go for it, and that has a lot of visual flair, and I almost like that movie better in a way, just because... Paul Schrader taking more visual uh, kind of a, uh, experimental style in that movie. And if you see that movie, the first scene is actually, the first and the last kind of scene in that movie is quite, the middle is not so much, but the, the first scene is quite incredible in that Doggy Dog movie to me. So if you ever see that, and Nicolas Cage is channeling Humphrey Bogart in that movie, just to throw it back to when I was talking about him. So that's the movie uh, First Reformed. And I'll talk about a couple more movies. Um, I revisited uh, Brokeback Mountain. And when I revisited that, I also revisited the movie Crash because they kind of came out at the same time, or the same year, I suppose. And there's this whole debate whether Brokeback Mountain should have won the Oscar for Best Picture and how did Crash win. And Roger Ebert was this kind of proponent of the movie Crash and... How did Crash get the momentum? Because it didn't have that great reviews and Brokeback had a certain pedigree. And it's weird to review these movies. I, I remember teaching in uh, China in 2006 and I showed 
these two movies and I could compare them that it kind of showed you it's, uh, it's interesting how the Academy might have changed because I think there was some you know Crash was talking about issues of race and issues in Los Angeles California and broke back as maybe in I suppose Montana or somewhere like that and it's uh, about these gay uh, gay romance and uh, almost uh, turning the cowboy movie a bit on its head and so the kind of these people were more conservative I think and there's the idea is they went for crash because they think it said something about kind of the state of affair of the states but to me I think crash is a oh probably one of the worst best picture winners it's uh, it's because I mean the screenplay is some possibly interesting but the characters are really just mouthpieces for this idea that everyone can be racist in the right situation kind of thing and there's some really cringeworthy moments it's uh, not very well acted at all in some way I mean they try it's weird that some big names were in that movie and uh, I don't know it just doesn't speak to me Brokeback is very kind of subtle and uh, very reflective melancholy even and uh, just the performances there are so much more memorable and it's a great dynamic with Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal and I think they had a friendship after that movie and, it, and Heath Ledger I think to me that's even more so than the Joker from The Dark Knight that's his kind of most accomplished performance it, it's quite incredible I almost wish he won the acting Oscar for that I, mean, I really appreciated Brokeback Mountain and just the subtlety and the way they use time and uh, the way this sort of they yeah, span the periods of time and it's uh, really quite moving in a way I uh, definitely enjoyed that it just takes me back those two movies and they're always good to maybe watch together I really you know Crash is okay but I actually like the movie Capote as well that came out in 2005 and almost think it's better than either of those two movies but I might include it in my best of the year 2000 sometime, but uh, that was sort of like uh, Brokeback Mountain. And uh, I think uh, I'll finish up in a second, and uh, we'll finish with the movie, the the movie uh, Her, which I saw for the second time just a few other days ago, actually. And Her is a 2013 movie. It's Spike Jones. It's another sci-fi movie. Spike Jones is kind of this visionary director in some way. He writes interesting screenplays, and he won the Academy Award for screenplay for this movie. It's with Joaquin Phoenix, who's another one of my favorite actors, and he plays this Theodore character who's kind of like this sad, I don't know, kind of guy that kind of he's had some bad luck in relationships, and uh, he's kind of a sort of a he writes greeting cards, which is kind of motivating, but at the same time. He, he can't get his love life together and it's set in the not too distant future maybe where everything's kind of, uh, I don't know, everyone's sort of interacting with technology at all times and talking in their earpieces to their computers and technology is kind of integrated all around and there's all touch screens and things like that and it's all kind of these bright colors in the, in the workplace and just, it's a bit, uh, I don't know, whitewashed is the word, but it's sort of like, um, I don't know, a little bit plastic maybe or something like that. It's not not so real. And uh, 
they live in this kind of world. All these characters exist in this kind of world. It's, it's very funny, but it's kind of sad. And he develops a relationship with the with what this new operating system, which is the voice of Scarlett Johansson. And so the operating system, he sort of falls in love with it. And it can provide things that maybe he can't get with other women. But at the same time, he becomes dependent on this relationship with the operating system. And uh, the operating system is continuing to learn. And we're not really sure of the mo motives of the operating system. It's not a sinister movie like the... Terminator or something about in a artificial intelligence, but at the same time, it's sort of I don't know, like the intelligence is evolving, and whether he's really the the computer can really be in love with him is sort of up for to debate, and the computer is constantly yeah, evolving, and so he's sort of um, yeah, it shows how people are kind of dependent on technology and as a replacement for human connection and stuff like that so or I don't know it's sort of interesting in that regard I I enjoy the movie it's good to see every once in a while I, I like Joaquin in the in the role he's kind of um, I don't know if you root for him but he's somewhat likable even despite and he's played some pretty tough kind of characters in the past but I also watched the movie Walk the Line recently with Joaquin Phoenix again, and he's just when sometimes you just kind of relate in a way to his characters, and so her is kind of a good way to wrap up. If you haven't seen that recently, it's a thought-provoking sci-fi that doesn't go too dark, and it still manages to grapple with some important issues. So I guess those are just a few of the movies that influenced me in 2018. And we'll probably do this again in six months' time. So uh, this is Mark A. for the reflections, and take care. Well, that does it for another episode. Just a reminder, the website for this podcast is furtherreflections.net. There you can find the episode archive. You can find more about myself. You can support the podcast, and you can see the archive of my previous podcast, Reflections On. Thanks for listening.